continue in our lesson regarding the uh, lesson number 10 in our study um, of the Bible study hour. God, are you there? Lesson 10, I am is here. And as a brief reminder, um, for those of you who are interested, um, we have a spring break conference coming up in two weeks, uh, just, just about two weeks. April 5th and 6th at the Hampton Inn and Stowe. And it's on the names of God. Uh, the title of the seminar is His Name is Wonderful. It's going to be a great study. I'm just letting you know right now. Um, I can say that uh, because I'm pulling the material together for it. So I would, I would have firsthand knowledge of that <laughs> based upon that. But it's going to be a great study, uh, a good discussion time, um, and even... A little bit of uh, musical interludes in between as well, too, um, which will be pulled together as well. So we look forward to uh, your being at that event at the Hampton Inn and Stowe. We'll talk about that more during the um, announcements during the morning service. But if you haven't booked your hotel room, you really need to do it now and get that done and over with if you're interested in staying at the hotel. Um, and we'll provide more information about that later. Um, I'm going to mention it now only because um, uh, Donna just handed it to me about the Great Commission Women Brunch, which is next Saturday, the 30th, uh, at Akron Family Restaurant, uh, because uh, Cindy's not going to be back until Wednesday, and this is really the last day to make that announcement before the brunch takes place on Saturday. So if you're interested in going to the Great Commission Women Brunch at the Akron Family Restaurant, Saturday, March 30th at 1 o'clock, 250 West Market Street, I'll have a sign-up sheet in the back of the church that I'll be putting back there after they make the announcement today as well, too. So just make sure you're aware of that. That is this coming Saturday. Okay. And with that in mind, we're going to go ahead and get back into the lesson and make sure that you're allowing the Spirit to speak. We're going to pray for that right now. Father, we just thank you for this time that you've given us to come before you and sit quietly and allow you to speak to us we thank you for your word. We thank you for the promises of your word. We thank you for your very presence this morning. And Lord, we know that we fall short when it comes to how we behave, how we do things. And Lord, we want to just come before you, Lord, and sit and allow you to speak to us, to minister to us, to correct us where it's needed. And we just thank you, Lord, again, that you do those things in love and care, and concern, and we just thank you for your grace. We thank you for this time you give us. We pray, Lord, and we ask all of these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. All right. We're on page two of, le of the three pages of the Fall Bible Study Hour, Missing Pieces by Jennifer Rothschild, who did a phenomenal job with putting together and expressing her own feelings about how she feels about her relationship with the Lord and how she has struggled and scuffled, frankly, with the very things that we haven't had to scuffle with, namely being blind and having to deal with those very issues. And what she had shared last time we were together about the feeling of God's absence and how it feels when we feel like God is not present. And we were mentioning it in the context of how we sometimes feel as though God is not present. We're in the midst of struggles and difficulties. Thank you. And that's the thing we have to take into account here. All of us 
have struggles and difficulties, don't we? That's something that we always talk about, we always know about, we always experience it ourselves. We have struggles and difficulties. And these are things that we need to take into account when we're having this conversation about how we in our flesh will struggle with this because we in our flesh sometimes will not always recognize God's presence. Amen? And we know he's always there, but yet we still come back to the fact that we feel like when things are very difficult, we feel like we're very alone. And those are very valid feelings and concerns that we have. And the only way to overcome those concerns we have is to remind ourselves through God's word that he truly is present and with us. That's what we always have to come back to. Because those feelings that we have are never going to change. The only time those feelings are going to change is when we are, frankly, with our Lord and Savior. When we're not here. Because in the flesh, we just don't have that capability to do anything more than just reason ourselves back to saying, God, I do know you're here. I know it feels like you're not, but I know you're still present. We still have to work through all of that. Okay. So back at page two, and because we we have some visitors today that were not part of this lesson, I'm going to start at the top of page two and work our way down, and I won't take too long or won't uh, tarry too long with that to make sure that we are getting up to speed. So back at the top of page two, because remember what we talked about in this 23rd Psalm about how David felt. It says, David understood that even though he walked through the valley of the shadow of death, God was with him. A spouse leaving the death of a child, illness, financial despair, or myriad other hard things feel like that valley. When we walk through such valleys, we often can't feel God's presence. It's just too dark. And I think that's the proper word for it. It's just too dark. We struggle with those things when things are very, very difficult. That feeling of God's absence reminds me a little of blindness. Talk about walking in shadows. Blindness makes it impossible to determine someone's presence if they're still or silent. That can make me feel distant, lonely, or isolated. How strange that I feel those emotions even when someone is right there with me. We can feel the same way about God, distant from him, isolated from him, and lonely even though he is right there. In the dark, I can feel alone, but my feelings offer no reliable confirmation that I am actually, actually am alone. This is true for many people who go through a really, really tough time. They can be in a crowded room with people and still feel alone because of how they are being, how they're dealing with the situation that they're in. You can be in a stadium full of people and feel like you're alone. And it's a very, very valid thing to experience. If someone tells me they are there, then I just have to trust they are. This is Jennifer speaking again. I sure don't want to simplify the profound nature of God, nor do I want to seemingly dismiss the pain you may suffer from feeling the absence of God. But my friend, sometimes you just have to trust he is there. And that's the whole issue. It's trust. You believe in him, but now you have to trust in his consistency that he is always there. Accepting God's omnipresence is a matter of faith. It's that simple, and it's also that hard. We also said that because faith sometimes is a challenge for all of us. We struggle with our faith. 
Faith is something we will scuffle with for the rest of our lives. You know, all that Jesus calls us to have is what a mustard seed of faith. A mustard seed is about as small as you can imagine. That's what he wants us to have, and yet we still struggle with that very issue of faith. That's because of who we are. You know, Paul and I were having a conversation beforehand about we scuffle with this stuff because we have flesh that we deal with all the time. It's the fleshliness that keeps us from having the best possible faith experience. It's an, on, it's an ongoing, constant thing that we have to go through. Everyone in this room can relate to that because everyone in this room is in the flesh. So we all have this one thing in common, this fleshliness that keeps us from having the appropriate amount of faith to be able to get through situations. We are being challenged over and over again, and Jesus keeps telling us, just have faith. Just have faith. Now, having faith does not necessarily mean that this tough time that you're going through is going to just pass by. Sometimes it's just having the faith to endure. One of the things that we talk about when we talk about God's image, the E in image that we put forth stands for endurance, to endure, because that is part of life. We have to just get through it. We have to get through moment by moment. What was David doing when he was walking through the valley of shadow of death? Guess what he was doing? He was enduring. He was dealing with it, but he was enduring it. So we looked at Jeremiah 23. Let's go back to that as a brief reminder, just to get people to open their Bibles and turn on their electronic devices and punch in some numbers and get back into what the Word says. We'll cover this very quickly. Jeremiah 23, 23 and 24. Jeremiah 23, 23, <laughs> I have to say that quickly. Jeremiah 23, 23, am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a guard God far away? Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? And we mention that there are three different questions that God asks to confirm who he is. First question, essentially, is in verse 23. Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? In other words, am I close by or am I far away? And he is reminding us that he is always present. In verse 24, can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him? That's the second question. Can you hide from God? No. No. You can't. It's a definitive statement. It absolutely is true that you cannot hide from God. You can't go into a closet somewhere with some sort of a secret compartment, you know, they're, uh, one of the things that um, in the old superhero days, you talk about Superman, you know, he can't do his x-ray vision through lead. Well, you can't go into a lead-contained compartment and go somewhere and sit and feel like you can get away from God because you can't. His x-ray vision is much greater than Superman's. Now, that's not biblical, but I think you know what I'm talking about. 
There's nowhere that you can hide. And the last question, do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord. Is there any place you can go, heaven and earth, where you are away from the Lord? And the answer is no. He is always present, no matter where you travel. If you're a world traveler, if you're traveling over to London, England, or going to Canterbury, or going to Spain, or Portugal, the Lord is present with you wherever you go. Now rephrase the questions that God asked into I am statements. So it's I am what? I am close at hand. I'm always close. That's good. Give me the second question. I am what? I am a breath away. Okay. That's true. Can a man hide himself in secret places can I, and, not, and cannot see him? I am always present. All right, what's the third question? I am what? I am everywhere. I'm with you. Okay, I'm everywhere. Who remembers the Johnny Cash song, I am everywhere? Everybody remember? I am everywhere, man. I am everywhere. You all don't remember that? Well, that's, that's shame on you. You ought to remember it. You remember that? Okay. Oh, I've been everywhere. That's true. Well, I've been everywhere. Okay, well, I got the wrong song lyrics then. Well, don't throw anything at the, at the instructor. Thank you. My wife corrected me because she's absolutely correct. It is, I've been everywhere, man. But that's the same principle, though. He literally was singing songs about being all over the country in different places. And God is everywhere. No matter where you go, he's there. So I didn't ruin that completely. All right. God God claims he is near to all, able to be everywhere so no one can hide from him, and he fills every piece of space that surrounds us. He is not subject to or bound by any limitation of space. He is there with you right now, but even so you may not feel he is. I know that it's hard to grasp, but try this. Complete the sentence. And this is where we, I think we had the the sentences before about we were giving descriptions. God's presence is like, and you said, air. I remember that. God's presence is like air. Because everywhere you go, you have to have air to do what? Breathe. And that's his presence. That's a great way to describe. We won't go over all the examples, but that's the one that stuck in my head. Everywhere you go, there's air to breathe. And he, his presence is just like that. Now, don't worry. I know you're not making a doctrinal statement. We're just trying to present, make a present reality of something we probably never pulled up close to our hearts. We have to use words, even knowing our words will fall short. If you had trouble finishing that sentence, don't worry. So did I. I couldn't think of one simile. So you got, we did better than Jennifer did here. Not even one word that fully represents his presence. I was really struggling with the concept that God is everywhere. The theological term is omnipresent. Omni is from the Latin word omnis, meaning all. Present means at hand and in attendance, the opposite of absent. The actual word doesn't appear in the Bible, but the concept is everywhere in Scripture. Of course it is. Just go back to creation in Genesis. God was the one who was overseeing all of creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He had to be present to do that. He had to be 
overseeing the entire process and orchestrated the entire process. Yet even that big, smart-sounding word doesn't do justice to the huge concept, God is everywhere with all his being, with everyone at all times. So I asked my friend Lisa to finish the sentence, and then she said, God is like air. So she must have talked to you. (laughs) Air, did you just think of that? I asked, surprised, she had such a quick, good, and profound answer. And we're over on page three. Yes, she laughed. Air is everywhere in our daily lives. We can't go anywhere that it is not. Each of us breathes it. Think about it. Air is what we all need to survive. We have different languages and skin colors, but we have air in common. It is everywhere. It is invisible. And most times we don't even think about our need for it. You know, that's true. It is invisible. You can't see it. And we don't even think about it sometimes because it comes naturally. But yet, what is who is God? He is the invisible God. We can't see him. We recognize that we still need him. He's there. And sometimes we even just don't quite think about him the way we should. And that's because of our flesh that gets in the way of that. So that entire concept of needing air and the comparison with God himself We do those very things that we've talked about. Air is perceptible when it comes in gusts or gentle breezes. A cyclone or when it rustles leaves on a tree. We notice air when it's blustery on a wintry day or swollen with humidity in July. Amen. What do we complain about when it's really cold outside? Well, we know that the wind gets cold, it makes it colder. If there's a lot of wind on a cold day, all we talk about is wind chill factor, and we know that there are things we need to do to protect ourselves from that. Because if we don't bundle up and there's a wind chill factor, we can get frostbite. And we also know how hot it can get on a summer day when you've got humidity that's mixed in. Wouldn't you like to have that right now? Okay, we can easily think about God's omnipresence in the way we think of air because he is near and essential as air, our native breath. Not surprisingly, pardon me, God's name suggests something very similar. In the Old Testament, a name explained a lot about the person who bore it. God's name communicates who he is. This is exactly why This was such a timely lesson that takes place now because we're going to be talking about this very thing in two weeks at our seminar about God's name communicating who he is. And the names that he gives to people in Scripture have a meaning and a purpose. And without getting into all that, we just know that that's something that we we can count on because that's what God does. He assigns names and gives names for that reason as a descriptive way of who they are. Do we name our children that way? Sometimes we pick names for our kids that are based upon biblical names. But we also know that sometimes that child may not even turn out to be anything like the name that that person is given. But God, in fact, does the exact opposite. 
But let's talk about God's name for a moment. Go to Isaiah 42.8. Isaiah 42.8. By the way, the study of the Lord's name is a fascinating study. It's something that we could probably take a good portion of our class to handle. It's something that we could talk about. We're going to talk about it, of course, in a couple of weeks. Um, but it's a fascinating study. It's interesting to go back and look at information and see how people put things together and where we come to these conclusions. And we'll kind of go over that a little bit right here. But look at what it says in Isaiah 42.8. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. So write down what God says his name is in Isaiah 42.8. Some of us are writing things down. Some of us are still thinking. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other nor my praise to carved idols. Who has something jotted down? Yes. Okay. Good. Anyone else? No right or wrong answers, please. Don't hold back. Pardon me? He is glory. Good. He is glory. He is glory. He is, he is to be, when we talk about he is to be worshipped and praised, that means you're doing what? You're glorifying him because he is glory. Someone else? Yes. The light of the gospel. Okay. Very good. Anything else? Okay. It's pretty straightforward what he's saying he is. He's saying, that is my name. I am the Lord. My glory I give to no other. In other words, he is glory. No, my praise to carved idols, which means he is well above anything else that you can portray as being an idol. Yes. Authentic. Yes. I'm the real deal. I'm authentic. I'm not fake. That's right. Yes. Um. I am, yes, I'm looking at the ESV version of this. Yahweh is the word that we're going to actually get to that in the study here, where it's on the page. So we'll talk about that. And, we're going to, and I encourage all of you who are able to, to come to our seminar, uh, especially on uh, Saturday, because we're going to get a little bit into this 
discussion about Yahweh and what that means. Not to a, a whole lot of detail because it really it would take a long, long time to cover that. But it is an important thing for us to keep in mind. So we're going to look at that. And um, um, your wife has the handout right there next to you <laughs> so you can show uh, what we're going to talk about. Okay, so we got this thing about him being authentic, right? He is the real deal. We can make gods out of what? Objects. Do we not do that all the time? We do it all the time. We, because, and what that means is if it's a God in your life, that means you are actually worshiping that very thing that you're making an idol out of. Automobiles. You know, some of us in the old days, some of us remember it was a status symbol for, for some people, black people in the hood, to get a Cadillac. It was a Cadillac. That's an absolute true story. Because my dad did the same thing. It's absolutely true. It was a status symbol for, to get a Cadillac. As opposed to be driving some other kind of car, you know, or a, or a deuce and a quarter. I don't know. Whatever, whatever the car was in that, at that time. Because I remember those things. But that's, but that's what I, we want to make sure that we understand. That you have to be very cautious about what you put in front of you as being important. Because it is something that if you're looking at it in any other way other than the fact that, well, God blessed me with this, then you may have an issue. All right? Go ahead, and I'll come back to you. I got it here. Muhammad Ali once discussed when he was being accused of being a less than a white person. Yes. He said that he said black people they have almost no income and drive a brand new Cadillac. Yeah, that's true. There were there were a few there were a few very nice if you were down in the projects around fifty fifth and, and, and Woodland, this is a true story. There were a lot of people that had big TVs and Cadillacs. And but they're on subsidized housing. So I mean it's it's almost a it's a true story. It really is. All right, all right, we'll move on from there. <laughs> okay. Yep. Gotcha. <laughs> Learn about life, huh? Now, I started that, so that was uh, that's all on me. But uh, <laughs> but 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 it's making a point for all of us about when God talks about how he is the one that he doesn't give his praise or the glory to anyone other and especially to any carved idols because he's the real deal. And where you put your focus, and again, there's nothing wrong with having nice things and there's nothing wrong with having those nice things, but you need to understand where the priorities are. The priorities are give God the glory, he will do the rest. That ultimately is the lesson from all of that. He will do the rest. And all of us, frankly, are very rich. 
because we have eternal life. And that's the first and foremost, most important thing. God says his name is the Lord. That's the next line down. The original name of God rendered in our Bibles as Lord is the Hebrew tetragrammaton. And you see that Hebrew word, Yahweh. I actually put the Hebrew word superimposed on the page. And then you have the pronunciation of Y-H-W-H. The English pronunciation is Yahweh. Okay? It is used several thousand times in Scripture. Now, the one thing I liked about the Holman Christian Standard Bible, and for whatever reason, they kind of went away from it from the Christian Standard Bible, the Holman Bible actually used the word Yahweh much more for the benefit of us understanding Yahweh is God's proper name according to how it is given in this language. That is his proper name. If he's saying, I am the Lord, and your Lord is Yahweh, Yahweh is his proper name. Just like your proper name is Charles Beecher. <laughs> First thing that came to mind. Okay. But that's his proper name. That's the name that he prefers to be called. He's making that declaration. He makes that declaration, like it says here, several thousand times in Scripture. By the way, way more than the actual just use of the word God, which is something that we will learn about if you come to the seminar. But ultimately, this is the name that he wants to be called. God first revealed his name to Moses in Exodus 3.14. Let's go back to that section. Exodus 3.14. This is a very, very interesting place. This is where we learn about, it is really first revealed about who he is, because Moses keeps asking these questions. Moses is nervous about going and telling the Israelites about this being rescued and all this stuff that's taking place. And look what it says in verse 14. God said, well, let's, let's go back. Go back, go back. Um, verse 13. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? So Moses lobs up a softball for God to swat it out. Because if you're asking a direct question like that, and you're having a conversation with him saying, what shall I say to them? Well, it's a direct question about, what is your name that you want me to have referred to? And so verse 14 says, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And you know, that always struck me that this was capitalized in this passage. Because I, it always takes me back to that movie, The Ten Commandments, and I'm looking at Moses having the conversation at the burning bush, and here is God saying, I am who I am. That, because that's exactly what happened. If, you're, if you remember that, I'm a real visual guy, okay? And I remember stuff, and it sticks in here like a marker. And when I see that, that... I am who I am. Can you imagine? I would be terrified. I mean, it's, 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 
it's interesting enough that, you know, he's talking to a burning bush that won't burn up. Okay, let's start with that. So we already know about that. And then you hear this massive voice coming out of it. Well, he's telling you who he is. This I am is a very, very important thing to understand about God. It goes right back to what was just discussed in Isaiah 42.8. I am who I am. And he said, say to the people, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Well, I am who? That's the natural question we ask, right? I am who? No, not I am who. It's I am. Is there any other God like God? No. There's no comparison. There is no other. That's why God said, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. That's the first commandment. To not have any other gods before him. Why? Because he's incomparable. I am has sent me to you. How did he describe his name? He just says, I am who I am. And you know, he always was. He's always been. He is the uncreated creator. He is eternal. Who else can compare to that? This pause that I'm taking is a pause to make you think. I am who I am. He's telling us who he is. Isaiah 42.8, he tells us who he is. He tells us who he is all the time. If we're looking in Scripture and we're seeing the different clues and indicators, he's giving us information about who he is. That's the wonderful thing about it, about him. He wants you to know more about him. He's telling you who he is. Now, you have to understand something. There's a big difference between just calling him God and calling him Lord, as in Lord Yahweh. He wants us to see that. The name may have originated from the Semitic root Hawa or Haya. Notice the Hebrew words there in red, meaning to be or to become. It denotes a present, active God. We know that He's present. What did we just got get through saying this entire class? He's always present. He is ever-present. He's not hidden from us if we truly are looking for him. He's not hiding from us. He's ever-present. Out of deep respect for the Lord, it had came to be considered blasphemous to even utter the name of God. The name was only written and never spoken. This resulted in the original pronunciation being lost. And that's the thing that, it, that's why it would take so much time to go through this study, because there's a lot of stuff where the original pronunciation of this was just lost. We, a lot of this is just guesses, it's based upon inferences. But this resulted in the original pronunciation being lost. Many scholars believe the most ancient script, YHWH, could also denote breath 
or life in its simplest reference. Interesting. Who's the creator? Yahweh himself, who gives us breath and life. The word breath or live may have been fused in thought with I am or to be, resulting in a meaning similar to life giver or creator. And you see how this can really get very detailed. But, to the credit, the Hebrew language is very explicit and specific as to how they called, how they referred to God. And probably did a much better job than English does. That's just the way it is. Modern scholars have come to trans, transliterate YHWH as Yahweh, which is used in the Holman Christian Center Bible translation. In Deuteronomy 30.20, Yahweh declares he is your life. How did Paul describe the ever-present God in Acts 17.28? Let's turn to that. Any questions about any of this right now? Everybody's just kind of staring at me, so I'm going to guess no. Okay. Existence. Okay. Yeah. He is. He has an eternal existence. Yeah. He's always existed, and will continue to always exist. I have some views on this that I'll share with you after the class because I don't want to bring uh, confusion. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll accept that. <laughs> That's fine. It's a very detailed study, though. That's one thing we have to look at, yes. Right. Yes. Right. Yes. Okay. Right. Not what you want me to do, mm-hmm. but I am. That's right. Uh, and it's strange because you realize I remember my dad, uh, because of his age, sometimes they would ask that. Who are you? Yeah. You know, That's right. To see if anything is up to all right. Okay. Yep. Yeah. That's right. Gus makes a great point. One of the tests that they give to people, they ask like 10 to 15 questions every time you have a doctor visit if you have a possible memory issue. And, and they'll ask just very basic questions like, you know, what's your name? Where do you live? Um, when is your birthday? Um, what month is it? And I know my mom would sometimes answer the question. She would give the wrong month. It, it, you start to see how things start to slip. Yeah. You're, you're, it's, whatever it, it's whatever it comes to mind, basically. But that's something we have to keep in mind, too. This question that's being asked about who God is, he is who he is. 
that was bell number two? Of course it was. Of course it was. It, that, that always happens. So I, all right. So in Acts 17, 28, let's just finish. I'm sorry. Go ahead. John 8:58. Yes. Yes, that's right. No, that's not a wrinkle at all because that's ultimately when we say that Jesus is God, we have to come back to that. And there are some very important... So all of y'all just need to come to the seminar. I'm going to tell you that right now. Um, but, but having said that, yeah, that is very important for us to remember that. John 8, 58. That's, he refers to himself as I am. And that's great, very important as well, too. That's right. Exactly right. Okay. All right. All right. Acts 17, 20. I'm just going to read it. We'll probably pick up with this next week and finish this out. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we indeed are indeed his offspring. Okay. So that's where Paul is going to be describing who God is, and we'll pick up with that next time. And, and we'll finish out from there, too, uh, and move into the next lesson, Lesson 11. Um, Acts 17:28. it says... For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of you, some of your own poets have said, for we indeed are his offspring. Are indeed his offspring. Okay. Yeah. I, how could you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's right. And just like most of us, how do you make a good name for yourself? It's through your actions. So ultimately, God's actions have to make that name stick, don't they? And that's what we have to look at as well, too. Okay. Um, thank you for your patience while getting through this. We're going to close out in prayer now. Lord, we just thank you for this time that you've given us to speak and understand more about who you are. We thank you for your being ever-present in our lives. We thank you for these comparisons and these discussions about who you are. You call yourself I am. We understand that that means you are and you always will be and you always have been. We thank you for that understanding as we go forward and remind ourselves that no matter what we're going through, that you are always with us, that you've never left us and you will never forsake us. We thank you for those promises in Scripture as well, too. We pray now for the upcoming message and the speaker. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. We'll see you next time.